Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Last week, we started a series called A How-To Guide. You saw some just crazy video clips, some old ones, some old infomercials and home improvement clips and things that, were, uh, that we put together. But, uh, you know, it comes out of my inability to build anything, really. Last week, I got made fun of because I said, you know, sometimes at the end of making, making some furniture or getting something from Ikea and putting it together, I had screws left over, so you're going to sit in chairs when you come visit my house that we're just praying and hoping God will keep together as long as you're sitting there. But I said last week, I said, you know, you get to the end and you got like, you got a couple screws left and it's like, that's the seven-eighth screw and that's the five-eighth screw. And I made this joke. It wasn't funny because nobody laughed, but I thought it was hilarious, um, which is most of my jokes. But I said, you know, I don't know the difference in the five-eighth screw and the seven-eighth screw because I never really paid attention when they were teaching the metric system. Only eight of you got that. But last week, I had a couple people afterwards go, you know, five-eighths and seven-eighths is not metrics, right? That's fractions. And I was like, hey, at least you were paying attention. Thank God for that. All right? So, but listen, I can't really put things together well. Like, I don't have that ability. God, God gave me three gifts, and building furniture is not one of those three, okay? So here's what I know. When I'm putting it together, what I try to do, now I'm not always successful. What I try to do is I try to follow the instruction manual. Now, some of you, you just kind of build it, you know, by looking at it. You're like, I think I got this. I'm going to figure it out. And, and your spouse, you know, hates that part of your relationship because they're an instruction manual person and you're just kind of a by feel person and you're trying to figure out how to make that work for the long term. And so for me, like, I want to read the instructions and I want to kind of look at, okay, we're going to go step one and then step two and then step three. I don't do that in every area of my life, but building furniture, I know that's a deficiency for me. And so when I'm putting it together, I'm usually trying to follow the instructions. Here's what we know about instruction manuals. They give us the guide. The, the creator, the inventor, the company, they put together instructions to try to make sure that the end result looks somewhat like the picture on the box. Like they want you to end up having the furniture, having the bicycle, having the whatever that looks like what they're trying to give to you. And so, you know, they want to give you as clear instructions as they can, except for Ikea. They give you no clear instructions. Just stick people and figures and things that doesn't even look like the same thing you bought. But they also have in those instruction manuals a few pictures with big X's across them. And it's like, hey, don't do this. Don't put the bottom on first because then you can't get the top on. Don't add this screw before you put this thing in. And if you look at that and you follow those instructions, what you would recognize is those are warnings. They're not mean-spirited. They're not ugly. They're not judgmental like you're an idiot for trying to do this. It's like, hey, we're trying to help you to avoid some pitfalls. We're trying to make sure that you know the proper way to do this and the proper way not to do this. And what we said last week is that so often in our culture, We've kind of missed the part about what God has given to us in the Bible. The Bible is a how-to guide. It is somewhat of an instruction manual for building the life that God is calling each of us to. Now, that doesn't mean that you just get to pick and choose. It doesn't mean that you start building that life and you kind of, as you're doing it, you know, just pick the verses that you like. But what we said is that the Bible isn't just a book of thou shalt nots. It's a how-to guide for God's best. And so what that means is that just like you should do in the instruction manual and read it from beginning to end, you should be reading God's word from beginning to end. You should be trying to consume all of the word of God because there's so much truth within it. There's so many things that God is trying to impress upon us. And so today I want to continue that series of this how-to guide. And, and I want to look at a subject matter that I think hits all of us in some way or another. And it's the subject of families. Now, I recognize that even when I say the word families, not all of us have the same context of family. My hope is that maybe you are sitting today with some member or members of your family, but I recognize that's not possible for everyone. I also recognize that even if you are sitting with them, 
Or maybe if you'll see them later this afternoon or you'll see them in the days ahead or you'll see them at the upcoming holiday season later this fall and into the winter, that even when I talk about that, all of the families as they are constructed, they're made up a lot of different ways. The, the most, census, uh, most recent census data just was kind of brought forward. And so I've been reading through some of those things. And I'm thankful to live in a county. We're the sixth fastest growing county in the state of Georgia. A lot of new people moving in. You're like, I know, I, I sit in the traffic and I get it. But I'm thankful that people are moving to our community and it just gives us an opportunity to care for and reach more people that God sends to this place. But I think about that census data and it was telling us how families are constructed and what households look like now as opposed to what it looked like in 2010. And, and as I think about all those things, I was, I, w- I was imagining that some of us, perhaps, we live in like a Leave it to Beaver type family. Some of you don't even get that reference. You can YouTube it. But uh, Leave it to Beaver type of family, you've got like two you know, parents, two, two you know, they, they've been married the whole time. They've got 2.4 kids. They have a white picket fence. They have a dog. Like it's the, it's the model family from the olden days. Some of you live in that type of family. Others of you, you you don't even know what that looks like. It's a single parent home. Perhaps it's a blended family in some form. Maybe maybe in whatever form the family is constructed, it's kind of a one income, one stay at home type family. And I was looking at some some stuff this week, and this is what I ran across. I love this idea. Salary.com conducted a survey in 2010, so this data is very, very old now, but 2010, that attempted to place a monetary value on the work of stay-at-home moms. So if you're a stay-at-home mom, I'm about to give you some weaponry here. They determined that if mothers were to be paid for their 10 most common tasks in the home, and they defined those 10 most common tasks as laundry, uh, laundry operator, janitor, driver, technical support, housekeeper, daycare center, teacher, cook, office manager, psychologist, and facilities manager, they would be paid approximately $117,855.86 per year. It's a good bit of money. The largest, amen, right? The largest piece of that pie came from overtime pay because you never really get to clock out of that, right? And some of you are like, well, I'm not a stay-at-home mom. I'm a, I'm a stay-at-home dad. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a dad, a mom, a grandma, an aunt. I'm, I'm raising some folks in my house. I'm, I, I got folks that won't ever move out. Maybe that's your, that's your family connection. But whatever it looks like, I recognize that families look a lot of different ways. Well, thankfully, the Bible talks a lot about families. And so whatever context you have when you think family, I, I think it's important for us to recognize that families are talked about in scripture. In fact, theologians, some theologians have called the Bible the story of God and families. If you begin to read through the Bible, from the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1, all the way to the end of the book of Revelation, you see families woven throughout the story. And when I was a kid, we used to take in new members to our church on Sunday nights at the end of service. Some of you didn't even know they used to have church on Sunday nights. But uh, Sunday nights at the, at the end of our service, you know, about once a month or so, we would take in, welcome new members into our church. And when we did, every single time, some of you are about to get the Holy Ghost here in a minute, we would sing this song. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his love. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. I'm so glad I'm a part 
of the family of God. Now, listen, when we would sing that, like it was amazing. The Spirit of God would break out in that place, and those people would be excited they joined our church, and they'd be thrilled. A couple weeks ago, we had 11 new people join our church in Discovery Track, step one. Many of them are coming to step three today during our 11 o'clock service because we believe there's something important about being not just a part of the family that you have on the earth, but being a part of the family of God. The, the construct of what it looks like to be connected and knitting our lives together with people who are in pursuit of the same kinds of things. Well, as we are Generations Church, what I love to do is I love to read through the Bible generationally. I love to read through the Bible, like I said, from Genesis 1 all the way to the end of the book of Revelation and see how do the generations of families that are spoken of in Scripture, how do they connect to one another? How does Adam and Eve's family connect to Noah, which connects to Abraham? How, how can I read through the Bible and see the connection of the people of God and the people that God is interacting with? How do the stories of Joseph from Genesis 38 through Genesis 50 connect to them finding their way, all of God's people, into captivity for several hundred years? And really, what does that look like as they become the 12 tribes of Israel? And how do those 12 tribes made up of, of clans and then families, like how does that tell the story of God? And how is that still a part of the narrative of the earth that we're living in now, even the genealogy of Jesus Christ in the New Testament and two of the four Gospels are really the story of the family of Jesus and the family story of how God is connecting to the world. And so today I want to talk to us all about family. And to do so, I'm going to go a couple of different places. But I, I ran across this scripture this week. I was reminded of really this scripture. It's in Psalm 133, verse 1, and it says this. It says, look how good and pleasing it is when families live in unity. Look how good and pleasing it is when families live in unity. Here's a question today for all of us. On a scale of one to 10, how unified is your family right now? On a scale of one to 10, how unified is your family right now? Now, it got real quiet real fast. Perhaps the reason that most of our families, not all of our families, but most of our families don't find themselves in a season of being unified could it be that that's because we're not all chasing the same things? Could it be that we're not all prioritizing the same truths? Could it be that many of us within the family dynamic are chasing different things, pursuing different directions, and as we do, there creates a division within us in our family unit in whatever form that looks like where we begin moving in different direction and so we lack unity because we're chasing after different things. What if today... You use the message of Scripture. You use perhaps words that I'm speaking that I believe the Lord's laid on my heart for us as a church to maybe have a family meeting at some point this week, kind of sit down together in whatever construct your family looks like, to get on a Zoom call, to you know, kind of get on a FaceTime and all of us together spend a few minutes trying to determine what is it that our family is going to be about. If it's good and pleasing that families would be in unity, how can we make sure that our family is living in unity? Perhaps we would set a goal. We would set the end zone. We would, we would say, hey, we're all chasing after this. Let's all point our arrows towards God, and let's all try to grow closer to him individually and together. Let, let's become a Christian home, a Christian family. I ran across this other story this week, which I thought was great. After the dedication of his baby brother in church, little Johnny, I don't know why all these stories are always about little Johnny, but little Johnny sobbed all the way home in the back seat of his car. And his father asked him like three times, hey, what is wrong, Johnny? And finally, the boy replied, he said, that pastor said he wanted us to be raised in a Christian home, but I wanna stay with you guys. 
Perhaps you've got a little Johnny living in your house and he really wants to stay with you. But maybe the unity that you have in your home is not the unity that is leading you towards a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. So here's what I want to do. If the Bible really is a how-to guide, I want to give you three how-tos today. Maybe you jot these down in the margins of your Bible or put these in the notes on your phone. Three how-tos for our families to really receive God's best, to find ourselves living in the blessing and favor of God. Three how-tos on how to make sure that that's the case for all of us today. The first one is this. I think we've got to love God first and foremost. It sounds really kind of elementary, perhaps, but for all of our families and all of the members of our families to really live in unity, to be good and pleasing, I think we've got to start by making sure that we love God. We draw the name and the story of Generations Church from Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's an Old Testament book, very near the beginning of the Bible. And if you've got a Bible, you can flip there. We're going to read a couple of chunks of text from Deuteronomy 6. We'll read some other scriptures in the remainder of our time. But Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 1, says this. This is the commandment, the rules, and the regulations that God, your God, commanded me to teach you to live out in the land that you're about to cross into and to possess. This is so that you'll live in deep reverence before God, lifelong, observing all his rules and regulations that I'm commanding you, you and your children and your grandchildren, living good, long lives. Skip to verse five. Love God, your God, with all your whole heart. Love him with all that's in you. Love him with all you've got. Now, this is the message paraphrase of scripture here, but if you want God's best for your family, it starts with you giving God your best. If you want God's best for your family, I believe that it starts with you and I giving God our best. And that's not because we initiate anything. Scripture tells us in several other places that we can only love God because he first loved us. We didn't initiate any of this. God initiated his love towards us. And so what we do is we receive the love of God and then we respond in kind by loving God. We are not saved out of our love for God. We are not you know, considered to be Christians or followers of Jesus Christ or disciples because of our love for God. We are Christians as we receive the love of God, but then we are growing in relationship with him as we take the love of God we receive and then respond back to him in kind. And so what we understand is that all of us, each of us in our family, should start by loving God. And here's what I would say to you. Perhaps already you've tuned me out or you're beginning to tune me out because you're like, you don't understand my family dynamic. You don't under, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a single parent. I'm single in general. I, I'm, I'm kind of my own family. I'm by myself. Maybe we are dating or married. Maybe we don't have kids. Maybe we never want to have kids. Or maybe we're thinking about that. Maybe you say, hey, I'm an empty nester. I've kind of already gone through the family season of life. And what I would say to you is it is not too late. I would also say to you it's not too early. You are right on time with choosing today to prioritize your own relationship with God. And then as you do, leading the way in your family to make sure that your family is loving God too. And so if you're, you say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of older now. I'm empty nester, or maybe I'm a grandparent, maybe I'm a great-grandparent. It is not too late for you to invest in the generations behind you and to say to them, this is what I'm prioritizing. Maybe I've made some mistakes. Maybe I didn't always show you this. Maybe I didn't always model this for you, but I want you to know that this is what my life is about, and I wanna help you to make your life about this as well. Perhaps you are a student in the room, middle school, high school, college-age student, and you say, you know what, my parents, they don't love God. My home is not a place that I could be raised in if I had to be raised in a Christian home, perhaps. But you can actually set the tone. You know, here's what I believe. The wave usually starts in the student section. 
And it could be that the wave of God's favor and God's blessing over your family starts with you, student. It could be that God uses you to impress upon your parents as you pursue more and more a relationship with Jesus Christ that they say, man, I, I don't want my 12-year-old to be further along in a relationship with God than I am. I've gotta, I gotta get into God's word. I've gotta pursue a relationship with him myself. You say, there's brokenness in my marriage. There's brokenness in my home. You don't understand my story. And you're right, I don't understand your story unless you've given me permission to know it. But God knows your story. And through all of the stories that I read in scripture from beginning to the end of this book, what I find is that even in brokenness, God can redeem. That even in hurt, God can forgive. That even in the, in the midst of circumstances that seem like they are insurmountable, God can show up in the midst of that. And he can turn those things for good. And so what I would say to you is you've got to start by loving God individually and collectively as a family if we wanna see God's best for our families and for our homes. So here's just a question for each of us. How well am I modeling my love for God for my family? How well am I personally, I'm not gonna blame anybody else or put it on anybody, how well am I modeling my love for God to my family? Here's the second how-to that I see for all families. Number two is that we gotta love each other. We gotta love each other. First Peter chapter four, verse eight says this, above all, love each other deeply. Everybody say deeply. Deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Everybody say multitude. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to love the people that live outside of your house and sometimes how difficult it is to love the people that live inside your house? We are so grace-filled toward people that we don't know well. And we are so harsh and critical so often on the people that we know best of all. And I get it, I get it. It's a natural byproduct so often where you know, the people that know us the best, they're the closest to us, they have the potential to hurt us the most. And so perhaps you've been wounded by those closest to you. You've been wounded by those that live in your home. You've been wounded by some folks that are just right up close to you. And so, man, to, to love them well, it feels like you're vulnerable because, man, you're, you're giving them permission to hurt you again. And I recognize that. But the words of Scripture here say that we are to love each other deeply, not on a surface level, not circumstantially even. It says, I'll love you if you stop saying these things. I'll love you if you're nice to me. I'll love you if you make me feel the way that you used to make me feel. No, I love you deeply because I'm commanded to do so. And love covers over a multitude of sins. Not just a few, not just a moment or two of, of those things, but a multitude of sins. You know, what I, I recognize in our home over the last few weeks is I have been saying the same phrase a, a, a lot. Now, that's not abnormal as a parent. It feels like, you know, as a parent, you just really say nine things over and over and over for like 18 years. But I have been saying this one phrase a lot more recently. And I remembered that the only other time so far as our kids have been getting older that I said it was really during the initial stages of the quarantine season at the beginning, kind of second quarter of last year. As we were home together more, which was awesome. It was like this hidden blessing in the midst of that. It seemed that one day bled into the next day, bled into the next day, bled into the next day, and all of the indiscretions of the previous days kept getting brought up on the next day. So what would happen is one of the brothers would say to the other brother, like, you always, fill in the blank, you never, fill in the blank, or they would say, you did that yesterday, or man, you didn't do, you didn't do that yet, like, and they would just bring up the past, 
And so I have found myself, again, quoting what I quoted last year, a few of those words from 1 Corinthians 13, that love chapter of Scripture, when I remind them, and maybe perhaps even remind myself, that love keeps no record of wrongs. Now, I recognize you got to use wisdom. I'm not saying that you should stay in some type of hostile relationship where you are being abused in any form. Scripture gives wisdom in how to deal with that as well. But I also recognize that where those things are not present, sometimes we are elevating little tiny things to become really, really big things because we are not loving one another deeply. We are to love each other. And I know sometimes it's easy for us to make it all about how the other people is receiving that love. Well, I've tried. I try to love them. I've tried to be nice to them. I've tried to be kind. I've tried to be gracious. I've tried... And I recognize that it's so easy to point the finger at someone else. And every time I try to point the finger, you know what the image in my head that I see is? My grandmother teaching me that when I'm pointing a finger at somebody else, there's at least three, sometimes four, if you can move your hand that way, pointing right back at me. It's so easy for me to blame someone else, and yet I don't want any of the blame coming my way. It's so easy for me to want people to give me the benefit of the doubt when my actions don't match my intentions, but to not give that same benefit to the others in my home. And so what I would say to you is give the same benefit to others. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Give them tons of grace. Forgive as quickly as you possibly can. Deal with the issues. But what Corey and I have said for a number of years in marriages, so often what happens is instead of dealing with the problems, we attack the person. And so when I want to get into some conflict resolution or when we try to do that in our home, we try to say, hey, we're not going to attack the other person. We're going to deal with the problem. And if we do that, then we do that out of a foundation of loving one another deeply. And out of the great love that I have for you and out of the love that exists in our home, we want to deal with whatever problems exist here. But we want to make sure that at the end of this conversation that two things remain. One, a deep understanding that you know that you are loved and accepted here. And two, a desire for both of us to continue moving forward towards the, pla the plan of God for our life and for our family and for our home. We must love each other. And so here's the question for all of us today. How can I show love to my family? That question was not, how can they show love to me? The question is, how can I show love to my family? And here's just a kind of an aside for all of us today to remember if you don't show it, it doesn't really matter that you're thinking it. I know you're like, well, I, I do. I, I remember the story of the old man, that they had been married 50 or 60 years, and his wife one day came to him and said, you don't ever tell me that you love me. And he said, well, I told you the day we got married, and I told you if it ever changed, I'd let you know. It's like, man, I don't, I don't know. I don't even know if, if they love me. But if you really pin that person down, they're like, oh, man, absolutely. I, I think about them all the time. I think about, just because you think it, if you don't show it, it doesn't really matter that you're thinking it. I would find ways to show your family that you love them. Express it. Verbalize it. Figure out what their love languages are. And whatever those love languages look like, quality time and acts of service and gifts and all of those things, like figure out what that looks like. And try to give them love, not in the way that you would want to receive it, but in the way that you know that they would receive it. There's a ton of free assessments online that you can do that. Maybe give every member of your family one of those love language assessments. And you could determine how do they receive love? How do they know that they are loved in this home? 
and then create that environment for them. The third how-to that I see, not only do we have to love God and love each other, we gotta love God's word. If we're looking at this as a how-to guide, we've got to love God's word, not just individually, but as a family. What we believe is that God's word speaks to families. It speaks to you as an individual, but it also speaks to the family unit. There's a number of places throughout Scripture that talk to us as members of families. Corey and I spoke back in February, February the 21st, if you want to go back on our YouTube channel or maybe the podcast to catch this, if you're a married individual or maybe about to be married. We talked about what it was that God was desiring for husbands and wives, but in Ephesians chapter 5, it speaks to both, both husbands and wives, And it says to husbands, whether you're currently a husband or you're about to be a husband or you're desiring one day to be a husband, it says to husbands that you are to love your wife the same way that God, through Jesus Christ, loves his bride, loves the church, loves us. Well, the model that we have in that example is that Jesus gave himself up for his bride. He literally gave up his physical life. So what that says to husbands is that sometimes you gotta give up your way Sometimes you've got to kind of give up your preferences. You've got to find ways to model that you love your wife in the same way that God models his love for you. He is gracious toward you, toward me. He is forgiving and merciful to us. So how do we take that love and give that to our wives? Wives, in that same passage, it says that we are to love and respect our husbands. And so in that way, what it would say, hey, well, how much am I loving my husband? How how much am I respecting my husband, how am I making sure that I'm modeling what is commanded of me here in Ephesians chapter five? And I would say to all of the parents of any age in the room, the best gift that you can give your children is a healthy marriage. The best gift that you can give them is a healthy marriage. If you're a child in the room of any age, Exodus chapter 20 is one of the places The children are commanded to honor their father and mother. Now, I'm a parent, so this one's easy to preach. I hope my kids are listening right now, right? It says this is a commandment with a promise, that it will go well for you. Your days will be blessed and favored by God. You'll live a long life, depending on the translation and the specific passage that you're reading here. But I know because I lived it, and I'm watching it on the other side as well, I know that there are seasons when you assume that your parents are complete and utter idiots, But it's amazing how much smarter my dad got the older I got, right? Here's what it says. It's not just about if you agree or not. It's recognizing that Scripture specifically speaks to children to say, honor your father and mother, to obey them. If you're a parent in the room, you don't get off scot-free. You don't get to always just be right. And just because I said so, we are also given instructions as to how we parent our children Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says, As for parents, don't provoke your children to anger, but raise them with discipline and instruction about the Lord. Sometimes, I got to be honest, I just pick at my kids a little bit. And I think maybe there's some of that's okay, but not to the point that they get angry. What is my responsibility to instruct them and to discipline them in the ways of the Lord? And then this great passage that many of us are clinging to, perhaps, in this room, Proverbs 22 and 6 it says to train up a child in the way that they should go, and when they grow old, they won't depart from it. Some of you are clinging to that promise. You're holding to that promise because you've got some sons and daughters that are still wayward, and you're trying to figure out when and how and if God will perhaps bring them back to what you invested into their life. We read earlier from Deuteronomy chapter 6. I want to go back to read a few more verses of that before we pray and close our time. This is 
beginning in verse six. It says this. It says, write these commandments that I've given you today on your hearts. Get them inside of you and then get them inside of your children. Talk about them wherever you go, sitting at home or walking in the street. Talk about them from the time you get up in the morning to when you fall into bed at night. Tie them on your hands and your foreheads as a reminder. Inscribe them on the doorposts of your homes and on your city gates. I heard recently about a mom who literally wrote the words of Scripture on the walls of her children's room. She wrote them on the door frames of their bedroom. And maybe that is further than you want to go. But speaking to parents for just a moment, how important is the word of God to your home life? How much are we talking about scripture? How much are we talking about God's word in our home? How often are we going to the strategies of the world before we go to the words of scripture when we come into a problem? How often are we making prayer a first response and not a last resort? What are we modeling for our children, whatever their age? I would say to all of us, if we want God's best for our families, we must love God and love each other and love God's word. Here's the question. How much of our family life is built on God's word? How much of our family life is built on God's word? I said this just a moment ago, but as we kind of come to a close here, here's what I would say. I know that all of you come from a different context. Your family life looks a lot different than maybe the people sitting on your row. Maybe you're watching online today and, man, you, you can't even imagine some of the family dynamics that I've even described. And what I would say to you is you are not too far gone. Your family is not so bad that it can't be reversed. I believe it starts with these three simple steps. And I don't say simple to undermine the work that it may take. You got to love God. You got to love each other. And you got to love and prioritize God's word. And as we think about those pieces, as we try to understand what that looks like, I would give you one warning. This is that part of the instruction manual with the big X over it. When I think about you, and I pray for you, as I've been doing this week in preparation for today, here's what you need to know, and you already know this intuitively. But as you begin to love God, and you begin to love each other, and you begin to love the word of God for yourself and for your family, you need to recognize that culture does not want this for you. And I'm not one of those, like, there's a demon around every corner kind of guy. I'm not. I'm not that way. But I do recognize, as I recognize that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, that there are some things that are happening and shaping in our world right now that are fighting against the family unit. And one of the reasons that I believe that's happening is because God, that family is so important to God. And I think if the enemy can deconstruct families and continue to shape and mold families in ways that do not honor God, I believe that the culture feels like it's gonna win. And I'm gonna name some names here, not individuals. But I do this just to give us a context, again, of the, the breadth of the battle that we're fighting here. But Hollywood and Nashville and Facebook and Netflix and Google and your friends at school and your travel ball coaches and your coworkers, they're going to convince you that the things we're talking about today are not important for you. They're gonna to try to convince you that marriage isn't important, that you should test the waters and dip your toe into every aspect of every relationship and to pursue intimacy without prioritizing commitment. They're gonna to try to tell you that divorce is inevitable. They're gonna to try to tell you that purity is old-fashioned and they're gonna to try to impress upon you that the Bible is judgmental. And what I would say to you 
is don't just take someone else's word for it. Don't take my word for it. Pursue it for yourself. Set up a time that you can prioritize the word of God for yourself. Because here's what I believe. It's not just me reading God's word. It is God's word reading me. The more that I read it, the more that I get it into me, the more that I desire to love God with my whole heart. The more that I love God with my whole heart, the more that I desire to love my family and my friends and the people I disagree with on Facebook, the more that I desire to love them well with the love of God. And the more that I do those things, the more that I read God's word. I had this conversation last week with somebody in the lobby. The more that I read God's word, the more that I want to read God's word. And I recognize if you just pick it up and kind of go to step three of the instruction manual and kind of cherry pick a verse, you go, okay, well, this is what I'm gonna read today. Man, I know sometimes it's hard for you to stay in the word of God. Pick a starting spot, John chapter one, and begin reading the book of John. If you're not sure what to read, come talk to us. Man, I got a text conversation with a guy right now and every time he finishes a new book, he texts me and I tell him what book to read next. Let's just read through the word of God and fall in love with the word of God. And as we do, I believe that we will begin to see God's blessing and his favor over our families. Love God, love each other, and love God's word. I'm gonna ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. We're about to have some fun in just a few minutes. But before we do, I'm gonna ask you just for a moment for us to focus in, ask God to continue to search our hearts and to help us to respond to him if you would say today, Jeremy, for me, I know what I need to do is I need to accept him as my Lord and Savior. I need to feel the love of God before I can even give God my love. And so today I'm asking him to forgive my sins and to be the Lord of my life. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right now? We wanna pray for you. Thank you so much. You can put it right down. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And now if you would say to me, Jeremy, for me and for my family, whatever that looks like, I want us to love God and love each other and love God's word like we never have ever before because I want God's best for my family. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? I wanna pray for you today, pray for your family today. God, we love you and we thank you for moments just like this. We thank you today, God, for times of worship and times of prayer. We thank you, Lord, for these moments where we engage your word. God, I pray that it doesn't stop here. I pray that this spurs us on and compels us to lean into more of your word and more of your presence. And so God, we ask you to do that in the days ahead. God, I pray now for every person that's acknowledged their need for you to be the Lord and Savior of their life. And God, we ask you to respond to them now. We believe that you acknowledge that the moment that they acknowledge their need for you. So God, now this is just a moment of sealing the deal, changing their eternity forever. And God, we thank you for that. And Lord, I pray for every family that's represented. I pray for those that lifted their hands today to say, God, help us to love you more. Help us to love each other better. And God, help us to fall in love with your word. These how-to things. God, let us not fall into the traps of culture and the things that are trying to press against us. But God, let us lean into the rest that you provide us in our homes. And so God, we thank you for all that you are doing and all that you will do. God, let us have a lot of fun today. And bring us back together next Sunday so that we can engage one another in groups and find community together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day and God bless.